You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics. This week, Pastor Charles Drew will offer comfort and encouragement to those of us who are experiencing corona fatigue before he leads us in prayer. And then I'll share a bit about a new resource we've produced in partnership with One Heart DC and the Together Generation. Then I'll invite you to a book club. For now, though, let's kick things off with a reading of Psalm 108 and then a reflection from Pastor Drew. Psalm 108 My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. God has promised in his holiness, With exultation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah my scepter. Moab is my washbasin, upon Edom I cast my shoe, over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. I'm beginning to experience corona fatigue, and I imagine you are too. Every time we open our emails, we encounter another dozen posts on how to guard our health and yet another dozen on how to guard our souls. These posts are often helpful, but not as a steady diet. We need something else. We need to lift our eyes above ourselves and our circumstances. We need to join the psalmist who sings in Psalm 108, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. In a few moments, we'll spend some time adoring God. But first, let me say a word about adoration. Adoration is the most difficult form of prayer, and this is the case because it is almost it has almost nothing to do with us, and we are preoccupied with ourselves. Confession, for example, is about what we have done wrong. Petition, another form of prayer, is about what we need. Thanksgiving is largely about what God has done for us, but adoration simply celebrates who God is. Verse 5 of Psalm 108, Let your glory be over all the earth. When we adore, 
we joyfully declare God's glory. We declare his otherness, what we call holiness, his love, his burning and unsullied goodness, his unstoppable power, his unfathomable wisdom, his rock-solid faithfulness, his stability, he never changes, his majesty and his beauty, his mystery, nothing he is or does is fully comprehensible to us. And adoration is good for us. It puts everything, partisan politics, fraying friendships, pandemics, into perspective. It does not deny them, but it shrinks them down to size. It reminds us that God's love and faithfulness are above the heavens, verse 5, not subject to anything that goes on beneath the heavens. Adoration is good for us even more importantly because... It gives to the heart, uh, it goes to the heart of who we actually are, dispelling the unhealthy and even destructive fantasies we carry around in our heads. When we give ourselves to adoration, we recall that we are, in actual fact, not in charge, that we are dependent creatures, that we are made for joy and that we are made for joy in the presence of God. And to celebrate reality is to thrive. We will now pray, seeding our praying with two great celebrations of God that we find in the Bible, a lengthy one from Job and a succinct one from Romans 11. The first features a series of questions that God puts to Job at the climax of his long-suffering, his deep confusion, and the accusatory comfort, I put that in quotes, from his friends. And the second comes at the climax of Paul's searching, joyful, and at times troubling account of the destiny of his beloved countrymen now that God has poured out his grace upon the Gentiles. First, Job, excerpts from chapters 38 to 40. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases, bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man? to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. 
Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, uh, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now Romans eleven thirty-three to 36. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty and everlasting Father, we set our hearts to give you glory. We choose to declare something of who you are in the midst of a broken world that does not honor or understand you. We make this choice admitting that it is not easy for us to make. We default all the time to the fantasy that life is about us, about our aspirations, our fears, our needs, our triumphs, our work, and our relationships. The truth, rather, is that everything, without exception, is from you and through you and for you. There is no person, no force of nature, no distant corner of the universe, billions of light years beyond us, that has a life of its own, carrying on independent of your power, knowledge, and presence. No star rises or implodes except by your power. We ourselves cannot even utter a cruel word unless you give us the life and the motor control to do it. No earthly ruler, however noble or cruel, able or incompetent, can rise or stay for a moment in power but by your active will. What we call the laws of nature have no life in themselves. They rather express your present faithfulness, your continuing choice to give us a home where we can safely live, where we can plan for tomorrow, where we can develop vaccines and harness the energy you send for the common good. Apart from your active choice, gravity would not hold. 
our Earth would fly from its axis. The danger posed by the coronavirus would shrink into obscurity as we hurtled towards extinction. You are also unspeakably beautiful, O God. Beautiful things console us at times of uncertainty. The birds and blossoms of early spring cheer us. A stirring oratorio or Hey Jude takes our minds off the latest COVID-19 caution. Such lovely things, like all other things, come from and through you. You are beautiful beyond measure, the source of every good and perfect gift. When we hear a piece of music that ravishes us, it's your voice that we hear inviting us to enjoy you in the enjoyment of that music. We see that same invitation in the soaring of an eagle and in the breathtaking majesty of a giant sequoia. We see it in the color palette of Monet and the warm light of Rembrandt. We hear your voice in the kind word of a friend and in the riveting words of a great preacher. We feel your summons to enjoy your beauty and to enjoy you in the rollicking delight of an Irish pub song, in the slow warmth of a rising dawn, and in the lift and fall of a sailboat bending to wind and wave. We feel your delight as children artlessly play, as, and as a sheepdog darts among its charges, heeding its master's every call. We thrill with you at the complexity and the artistry of brilliantly executed team play, and ensemble choreography. Your beauty, our God, does not always soothe and thrill us, for you are for it is as great as is your own being. We have been caught in terrifying thunderstorms of your making. We have been stunned by the awesome symmetry of massive waves one after another tearing a sea seaside uh, house apart. When you stood and with a word of majesty stilled the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee, your disciples trembled. We rightly tremble before your beauty. We worship you as the God of love. But your love is not like ours. It's not sentimental. It does not depend on how well we respond to it. Your love is gracious, delighting in and welcoming every true step we take towards you, however flawed, however mixed our motives. And your love is wise, working all things together for our good, even when those things include a pandemic whose effects we can neither predict nor control. Your love is passionate, fierce in its determination to change us for the better, patiently bearing our rage when we misread that determination as cruelty. Your love does not need us. Long before you made us and the angels, you lived in full and joyful community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And yet your, life, your love desires us. You long for us to be caught up with you in your own life, to be children of the Father, to be brothers and sisters of the Son, to be companions of the Spirit. We worship you for your unfathomable wisdom. Who among us is in a position to tell you 
how to run things or to explain what you're doing? Who among us can reconcile your claim to be good and in control with a parasitic virus that co-opts our cells' proper function and suffocates those we know and love? Who among us can celebrate you as the Lord of all the nations of the earth without ever stumbling over the reports of those who rule by indifference and cruelty? And how can you be the Almighty Savior while weeping over and then holding accountable those who refuse you? We complain about these things that we cannot understand, and you do not despise our complaints. But you also speak to us from the whirlwind, reminding us that you are God and we are not. Our counsels are dark for lack of knowledge, and this is what we should reasonably expect, for we live within the extreme limits of our own perceptions and sins. We know so little, we could never counsel you. And yet, there is one great and consoling reality that we do know. We know that while your love is indeed above the heavens, it is still love. Though we cannot always understand what you're up to, the love is there. Our inability fully to understand it does not mean that it isn't real. And we know that your love is real because it has come down. You have joined us here as one of us. You have freely submitted to what we necessarily submit to. Weakness, mortality, human cruelty, and the dark night of the soul. Though you might have, you never took an end run around the humanity you chose fully to share with us. Like us, you waited on your father for food and shelter. Like us, you waited on him for vindication. You praised him as we often fail to when you couldn't see him. And in the bitter end, you called upon him from hell where you went bearing our sins. Yours is a wisdom that is far wiser than we could have hoped for or come up with, a wisdom that has undone all that separates us from you and opens the way to that great day when we will enjoy you without any of the constraints we now endure. To your great name be glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor Drew. Pastor Drew is the author of Surprised by Community, Why Republicans and Democrats Must Sit in the Same Pew, and a member of the Christian Civics Teaching Team. I know that his reflection and his prayers were really timely, at least for me and probably for you too. A lot of us are experiencing corona fatigue, and a lot of us also feel like we don't have any other choice because other people are relying on us to help them navigate this crisis. Whether you're a church leader, a parent, or just an active and supportive friend and neighbor, you shouldn't have to feel like you're figuring this out alone. That's why we've partnered with the teams at One Heart DC and at the Together Generation to produce the Caring Connections Knowledge Base. This is a streamlined, curated, and here's the important part, constantly updated collection of information 
on how to lead organizations, care for others, and protect your own well-being during the COVID-19 pandemic. We have a small team of researchers keeping the information up to date and making sure that everything we provide is easy to follow, easy to understand, and easy to implement. Whether you're trying to figure out how to get online worship services working better, help a friend from your small group apply for unemployment, or talk to your kids about dealing with the stress of such scary news, we really hope that this will help you navigate this pandemic better. You can find more information and a link in the show notes for this episode or on our website at christiancivics.org. Lastly, before we go, I want to invite you to a book club. Every month for the duration of the COVID-19 pandemic, and probably every month or two after that, I'll be joined on this podcast by a rotating cast of guests and Christian civics leaders to discuss books that have the potential to shape the way we carry our faith into the public square. Some of these will be books that we really like, some of them will be books we've been meaning to get around to, and some of them will be books you're probably already talking about or thinking about. But we need your help to talk about them. All of our conversations are going to be shaped by you. The first book we're going to discuss is The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. This is one that I've been meaning to get around to for a while. If you visit our website, christiancivics.org, or look in the show notes for this episode, you'll find a link to purchase a copy of the book, and even more importantly, a link where you can send me your questions, your comments, and your observations about it. Every book club, we're planning on building a lot of our conversations around what you have to say. So please don't leave us hanging. All right, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for being with us. Join us again next week to dive deeper into how the gospel can change the way we think, speak, and act in the public square.